Well, today, uh, we're going to do something special in a few moments. Uh, at the end of the service, we're going to receive our offering. We usually don't do it at the end of the service. And, and by the way, let me just tell you, as your pastor, why I don't do it at the end of the service. The Bible's very clear to us that when it comes to our giving, we're not to give out of compulsion. And, and in an overly saturated, marketed society today, we all know what it feels like when, when, when you feel like you know, you're being set up for something, right? We all know what that feels like. You ever done like a timeshare thing and they've got like this, all this food spread out? They're like, oh, we're going to give you gift cards. It's going to be awesome. It's not going to be awesome. <laughs> Let me just tell you now, you are about to endure mental torture for that buffet and that gift card and whatever. It's not going to be awesome. We know what that feels like. And, and as, as a pastor and as someone who cares for lost people, I understand in our culture, in our day and age, there is a, a resistance. There's this idea, you're like, oh, all the church wants is your money. And so I'm very intentional not to receive the offering at the end of the service, typically, just because I don't want somebody that doesn't know my heart to think, oh, he said all that so that you'd give. So can I just say up front, that's not my motive. In fact, if you don't want to give today, just decide right now. You're not going to because there's nothing I can say to change your mind. But we are going to receive our offering at the end of the service today because today, and maybe you're here and you don't know what you've come into. You're just here because you knew somebody that was becoming a member or, or getting dedicated but, uh, or getting baptized. But today, we're going to be receiving an offering. And we've been praying about this offering for several weeks. We're calling it our heart for the house miracle offering. And here's what we're doing as a church. We're getting ready to start the, really the last phase of completely renovating our church building. And we've talked about this over the last few weeks. I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but, but in just a few weeks, we're going to be doing some work on the exterior of our building. We're going to be replacing every window in the church. We're going to be uh, replacing the siding, all of the spouting, all of the soffit. The parking lot is going to be getting redone. The main entrance is going to be made over. It's going to be beautiful. And for a lot of reasons, it's time for this to get done. And so what we're doing today is instead of just saying, well, we're, we're going to receive an offering and we'd like you to, you know, donate. I'm not asking anyone to just donate today. What we're doing is we're posturing our hearts today to invest in the future of this church. And so what I want to talk to you about for a few moments out of the scripture has to do with having a heart for the house. If you got your Bibles, I want you to open them with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 84. While you're turning there, again, next Sunday, it is Mother's Day, so if you are a mom, if you want to be a mom, if you have a mom, or if you know a mom, I think I covered everybody. We want you to be here. Next Sunday, it really is going to be a special day. We're, we're excited about it. As we turn to Psalm 84, I, I got to tell you, if there was a title for this psalm, it could be Heart for the House. And you'll know that when we read it together. But I want to just ask you with me, before we read this text, one more time, let's just go to God in prayer. Father, today, right now, you're looking down at the hearts of your people. And God, you know, 
exactly what's going on in our lives. Lord, you know what, uh, what we've carried with us into this weekend. You know what we're going to be facing as we leave this place. God, I pray that in this moment, by your Holy Spirit, you would allow me to say something, God, that would resonate in our hearts. God, that there would be a, a collective amen in our spirits to the yes of God. Thank you, Lord, that, that you have faithfully helped us to build a strong church here. God, I'm so grateful for all of our, all of our church family. God, I'm thankful for the many people that, that don't attend here, that, that continually are, are blessed and inspired by those that do. God, you're doing something here that is far wider than the walls. And so, Lord, today we just ask you in our spirit to enlarge us. For your word says in Hebrews chapter 3 that we are your house. So, God, enlarge us, Lord. Give us a greater capacity for what you want to do in our lives. God, we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 We're going to go right to the text. I, I don't think I have time to, to preach through all of this uh, chapter, but I, I do want to at least get to the first seven verses. So why don't we just start by reading those? Psalm 84, beginning in verse 1. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Now, I love this psalm because it resonates with my heart and my life. Because I love the church. I have a heart for the house of God. You know, public worship is not a biblical suggestion. Public worship is, is not a request. It's a command for the people of God that we come together, that we worship together. God designed the public worship for his people to accomplish certain things. And, and this chapter begins with verse 1 and 2, and the psalmist just says, how lovely is your dwelling place. Come on, let's just look at those first two verses again. My soul yearns, he says in verse two, and even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. What is he doing? He's describing the place of worship. He's describing what the temple, what was the church in his generation. And he's saying he loves when the people of God come together in the house of God. The psalmist here is saying, I, I just, I have such a heart for the house. Now, here's the reality. You can worship God on your own. I can worship God all by myself. In fact, I kind of felt like I was this morning. Me and Jack were just still back there in the room while you guys were having church, and we were just kind of worshiping. 
Sounded good, though. But you don't have to be in church to worship God. If somebody wants to have that argument with you, let them have it. It's true. You don't have to be in the house of God to worship God. But there's something unique and powerful that God accomplishes when two or three are gathered in his name that you just can't have all by yourself. You just can't have it all by yourself. You might say, well, you know, I, I, I connect God more when I'm, you know, out in the woods or taking a walk or, or on the lake. And, and that's fine. Everybody needs to have that personal intimacy with Christ. That's not what the psalmist is talking about. He's recognizing something that is powerful when we come into God's house. It's, it's a place where Psalm 133 says God commands his blessing. Psalm 133.1 says how good and pleasant it is when we dwell together in unity. And then three verses later, he says, for God commands his blessing there. There's something that God can do on a Sunday morning or in a life group or in a Wednesday night prayer gathering. There's something that God can accomplish when we gather together that you just can't receive on your own. Look at verse two again. He says, my soul yearns even faints for the courts of the Lord. You know, if I could just say it in my own words, you know what the psalmist was saying? He's saying, my soul is consumed with God's presence. My heart burns for the house of the Lord. You know, there's a lot of Christians that they couldn't say that. If we're honest, they, they couldn't say that. In fact, there, there's some Christians, they would even say like, I, I don't even want to go to church. Or, or they might even say this. They might say, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not part of any church. And if you have said that before or know someone that has, let me bring a little clarification. That's not true. If you're saved, you are a part of the church. See, Jesus is coming back for the church. He's coming back for saved folks. So whether you like the local church or not, if you're saved, you're a part of the church. You just haven't recognized the blessing and the benefit that it has for your life. But you can't be saved and not be a part of the church. You know that, that old saying, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family? This is the family of God. You got saved into a family. I've, I've wondered sometimes how people can go to church or how they can you say they love God and, and not want to be a part of a local church. And, and personally, I struggle to understand that, but, but I, I do understand why it's possible. And, and the difference comes down to being a Christian spectator or a Christian participant. I'm not, I'm not pointing anyone out. I'm just telling you today, they're both in the room. And, and, and they're in the world. There are Christian spectators and there are Christian participants. See, a spectator has a hard time being passionate about loving the church. A spectator has a hard time saying, my soul yearns for the courts of the Lord. A spectator has a hard time because of the world that we live in. We, we, are, we are overwhelmed. We're inundated with, with entertainment and, and with things that want to just satisfy the the flesh nature in all of us. That's just a statement. That's not an indictment. It's just a reality of the fact that we're serving Jesus in, in a modern age. I mean, there was a time where people went to church out of boredom. Like, ain't nothing else going on. Everything's closed on the weekend. I guess we'll go to church. Now, the fact that Chick-fil-A's closed is weird. 
what? You're closed on Sunday? How many of you remember when everything was closed on Sunday? Yeah, I'm not trying to call out anybody's age, but it wasn't that long ago. But we live in a day today where if you're a Christian spectator, you're being inundated by all these other things that want to grab your heart, grab your attention, and, and, and they, they pull at your budget, and they pull at your time, they pull at your resources. Your kids don't play sports for a season. They play it for a lifetime. And everything now is pulling against the church. I got to be honest, I don't have the, the budget or the talent to compete with all that. I mean, I, I, I'm not that good. And so if you're a Christian spectator, you're going to have a hard time coming to the place where your soul yearns and your heart faints for the house of God. Because there's always going to be other things that, that are going to pull on you a little bit stronger. Your, your, your flesh desires better music, funnier sermons. Your flesh want, wants something that, that you can get from somewhere else. And so what happens in our culture, and we've seen this, people go from church to church to church because ultimately, they're always consumers and never consumed. There's a difference. The psalmist was consumed by the presence of God. My heart faints for the courts of the Lord. He just wanted to be in God's presence. That's hard for a Christian spectator, but for a Christian participant, now, somebody that just is fully engaged, it's a totally different story. I mean, you can put them in the most beautiful crystal cathedral, or you can put them in some little storefront church. Or better yet, you can, you can put them in a, a, a thatched roof hut with mud floors in the Congo, and they're going to say, oh, it was so good to be in God's house today, because they weren't looking for anyone to entertain them. They weren't looking for somebody to just, to just give them an emotional response. It was the presence of God that they longed for, and a Christian participant says, if I can just get into God's house where faith lives, where the people of God are in unity, the commanded blessing of God will follow my life, and I'll be changed. Amen. Amen. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. There's a lot of people whose flesh cry out. I mean, you hear a good enough song, you might shed a tear. You hear a compelling testimony, you know, your lip might tremble a little bit. But come on, let's be honest. Some of us, our, our, our flesh cried out at the movie theater last weekend, you know? Like, we're moved by stuff. But for a person whose flesh only cries out, they can just as quickly be touched and stirred and compelled to come to the altar one Sunday and then complacent and cold and not even show up the next weekend. See, the only way that changes is if before your flesh cries out, your heart cries out. That's what the psalmist said. My heart and my flesh cry out. In other words, this is more than just emotion. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I love a good shout. I love when people get excited. I, I love a good hand clap. I love when there's enthusiasm, when there's joy and all of those things. But can I just challenge us today? Let's let that come from a deeper place. Let's not let that just be limited to emotionalism. Let, let's not wait until we put the, the right combination of songs together or, or, or the right sermon on the thing you needed to hear. No, let's come into the house of God with a heart that cries out. They say, if I'm the only one today, you might not have brought your praise, but if I'm all by myself, my heart's going to cry out. 
And, and when the music starts, if I, it doesn't matter if I like that song, it doesn't matter if they're singing it well, my heart was crying out before I got here. So now my heart and my flesh will cry out to the living God. Let's not get it backwards. Let's not think that, that it's up to somebody else to evoke your response to your Savior. Come on, if you're all by yourself, he deserves your praise today. He deserves your worship today. My heart and my flesh will cry out to the living God. And when your heart begins to cry out, then your flesh has to. See, now, now it's not about church culture anymore. It's not about style. When your heart cries out, you got to say something. You have to open Jeremiah said it like this. He said, when I tried to keep your word on the inside, it was like fire shut up in my bones. I could not contain it. He could not keep it in because the word of God was so powerful in his life. See, when your heart cries, your flesh speaks. That's why the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you're redeemed, something ought to be coming out of your mouth. See, when our hearts are consumed with the presence and the power of God, our lives will testify. Our lives will testify. The Bible says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. See, I, I, I don't believe that evangelism is the catalyst of revival. Evangelism isn't the catalyst of revival. It's the byproduct of revival. We don't have revival because people start getting saved. What happens is we have a revival. Our hearts begin to cry out, and our mouths have to open, and then people start getting saved. Imagine this. Imagine you... Imagine one of the ushers, they show up early on Sunday morning and, and, and they come into the church and they're here before everybody else. They're, they're arranging the chairs, they're getting the rows straightened out, they're just getting things ready for the service and, and all of a sudden they look up and, and, and they see that a bird has made a nest in the rafters. And it's early Sunday morning and and the usher just standing here in the church all by himself, and he goes, man, how cool would it be to be that bird? I mean, he gets to live in God's house. And, and then he hears chirping. There's little baby birds in there. Man, not only does that bird get to live in the house of God, that bird gets to raise their children in the house of God. How cool would it be to be that bird? That's what happened in this psalm. It, look at verse three. As he's talking about how much he loves the house, as he's talking about how much he wants to be in God's house. See, the sons of Korah, they were the temple assistants. They were the ushers. They were the people that came in and they got the place ready. They helped to maintain the house of God. In verse three, the, the usher says this. He says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. See, he was stirred at the picture of how great it would be to have a home in the house of God near the altar. Can I just say, having a heart for the house today is not about a building. The church has never been about a building. But for us, it is about having a place and a space where people can be near the presence of God. 
That's what, that's what the psalmist saw when he saw those birds who had built a nest near the altar. He said, man, living near the altar is life-changing. Raising your children near the altar is life-changing. Oh, to be able to be near the altar. And so for us, having a heart for the house is about understanding that life change happens here in the altar. And for many of you, you would say that's your testimony. Whether it happened as an adult or as a child, there was a moment in your life where you met God at an altar. And we pray and plan and strategize and believe and expect every weekend when we come together as the people of God that somebody's eternity could change at the altar. The psalmist said, man, how, how incredible that she has a place even for her young at the altar. His heart and his desire was to be close to God's presence. And, and what he says metaphorically in verse 3 he says very plainly in verse four, look at it. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. We should be at home in God's house. Just like the swallow who, who makes her nest. We ought to we ought to be at home in God's house. We ought to bring our children into God's house. They ought to be familiar with the altar. Let's not, let's not be some of those people that, that only go to the altars for ceremonies and crisis. Like there's some people, they spend their whole life serving Jesus, and the only time they walked to an altar was when they first got saved, when they got married, and when they died. Don't make your next altar be the one we carry you to. How about that? I should write that down. Man. That's good, man. I should write that. That's good stuff. Man. I got a pen. He said, I want to be in your presence. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They're ever, ever praising you. See, one of our core values as a church is that we're better together. We believe that. We, we, we say that we are better together. And what that means for us is simply this. Anyone can come and be a spectator. Anyone can come and be a spectator. But we are convinced that the church is better when we serve celebrate and sorrow together. Serve, celebrate, and sorrow. All of those are experiences that are enriched in community. All of those are things that are better together. And the psalmist, he begins this psalm, it's very personal. I mean, look at, look at the words he uses. He says, my soul yearns. My heart and my flesh cry out. I long for a place near your altar. It's very, very personal. But then all of a sudden, when you get into the second section of verse four through seven, it becomes congregational because the psalmist knows something. He understands that one of the greatest blessings about being in God's house is that you are with God's people. That it's not just about being in a geographic location. It's about who we're here with. It's about, it's about being a part of what God is doing collectively in the, in the worship and in the prayers and in the affirmation. So look with me at verse five. Now, now he's changed his tone to be congregational. He says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. 
The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. So three times a year, the, the, the Jewish people would make a pilgrimage towards Jerusalem. That's, that's kind of the, the imagery that he's giving them right here. They've set their hearts on pilgrimage. They're, they're going towards Jerusalem. In fact, Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 is the songbook that they would sing on these journeys. They're the songs of ascent. If you read those chapters, that's what that psalm book is for. And they're moving towards Zion, the holy city. And these songs are the songs that they would sing on their way. But but he's not just talking about a physical pilgrimage. He said these people have set their hearts on pilgrimage. How many of you could testify that following God is a journey? It's certainly not a sprint. And so he, he's looking at this, this journey of moving from where we are to where God wants us to be. And he says, you know, part of that journey is that you go through the valley of Baca. And that word means weeping. Ever been through the valley of weeping? I don't know how I got here. I don't know why I'm here. Pretty sure I got here following Jesus, so I didn't expect this to happen. But you learned at some point in your life that saying yes to Jesus wasn't a, 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 an escape from trouble. You learned at some point in your life that following Jesus on this journey goes through the valley of weeping. Just this week, I was, I was reminded of this. Many of you already know this, but on Tuesday, we got the news that uh, Alicia Collins' mom, Vicki Williams, passed away. And Vicki was only 55 years old. It was unexpected. In fact, just last year at one of our New Life Sunday services, Vicki became a member here. She became a part of this church, and then she got connected to uh, our women's group, and she was a part of those Bible studies, and, and many of you ladies prayed with her and, and talked with her and, and encouraged her in her faith, and, and then suddenly we got the news on Tuesday that Vicki was gone, and, and Alicia and Patrick and their family, they've been through the valley of weeping. They're following Jesus, but they're going through the valley of weeping, and maybe, maybe you're in that place in your own life, and can I just say to you today, if you're going through the valley, don't stop. Just don't stop. I mean, if there's any encouragement in this text to me, it says, as they pass through the valley of weeping, the good news for us is that we're going through, that it's not a final destination, that it's not a final resting place, but we're going through the valley. And we know, of course, that, that our destination is not the city of Jerusalem, but a new Jerusalem. Our destination is in God's presence, but it's not in the Middle East. And so we know that when we go through this valley, we're just going through this valley. We don't have to stay there any longer. They pass through it. See, the promise for God's people is even greater than that. It's not just you're going to get through it. When we understand the blessing of the house of God, it's more than just, hey, you're going to get through this. It's you can actually get through it going from strength to strength. Just imagine this. Look at it with me. It says, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with 
pools. Some translations uh, translate the word pools to blessings. And that's really a practical translation. If you were walking through a, a, an arid desert area and you came up on a little fresh pool of water, how many of you would think that's a blessing? And so that's the, that's the imagery that we get. He's saying, you're going to go through a valley of weeping, but you're going to go from strength to strength. As you go, you're going to find blessing after blessing. You're going to find refreshing after refreshing. And that's the picture of the people of God. Now, if, if it said, as they make their way towards Zion, they grew more weary and more tired in the hot sun, we would expect that. In the natural, that makes sense. The longer the journey goes, the more fatigued I am. But that's not the way it works. The closer they got to the presence of God, they had such a desire and a longing to be in God's house that the closer they moved towards it, it's like their energy went up, their excitement went up, their faith built up. And they went from strength to strength. And you know what? That describes some people's walk with Christ. Some of you today, if you were honest, you'd say, man, I I don't want to go to church. I need to go to church. I mean, if you were honest, you'd say, it's like every Sunday, it's like I find a pool of blessing. And for some of you, by Friday, you're like, if I could just get back to church on Sunday, I mean, this week almost did me in. But if I can just get to the next pool, if I could just get to the next blessing, and you go Sunday to Sunday from strength to strength, and you may be in the lowest valley of weeping, and yet you got here today, and for some reason, you saw somebody's testimony, you joined in a song, you agreed in a prayer, and all of the sudden, gladness burst on the scene one more time. That's what can happen in the presence of God. They go from strength to strength. Today, I want to pray for you that you would be refreshed. It's what can happen in the house of God. You can be refilled. You can be energized again. You can can come out of of a valley and you can experience the, the presence of God. The Bible, the psalmist said it like this, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we want for you today. We don't want you to just come and to to examine or to spectate. We want you to participate. Don't just look at the menu today. Come on, take a sample. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And so today, I, I just sense that as I move towards the end of this message, the Lord wants me to just pray refreshing over your life. To just pray that God would just lead you to a pool in your spirit. You just begin to play something softly. I I just want us to take a moment right where we're at, and I want us to just invite the Holy Spirit to come in and to move right now in this moment. Now, some of you say, I I don't, what what is that? What does that look like? What does that mean? See, here's what we do. We, We can get so wrapped up in having all of the answers that we miss out on the experience. Now listen, I'm not an advocate for checking your brain at the door. I I don't don't think you have to just lose all sense and sensibility to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I do not believe that. But I do believe Jesus said, you have to come with the faith of a child. The child will just believe what you tell them. 
And, and if God said you can be refreshed in his presence, don't worry about how. Just come with faith. If God said you can take your valley of weeping and it can be a time of refreshing, no, that's not possible. You don't know what you don't know what's in my valley. You don't know what I'm dealing with. I don't have to. I just have to come with childlike faith and expectation. I have a heart for the house because time and time again, I have seen people come into the house. and lean not on their own understanding and choose to trust in God. And they left changed, transformed, renewed. And God can do that for you today. So whatever need you might have in your life, I want to ask you, would you just Would you just bow your head with me all over this room? And would you be willing today to just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to refresh your soul right now? I want to invite you even where you're sitting to just begin to lift your voice with me. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for your presence in this place right now. God, I thank you for the promise that we quoted earlier where two or more are gathered in your name, you are there in the midst of them. Thank you, God, that right here, right now, you're with us. You're with us, God. And your word says that you delight in the praises of your people. God, you're not only with us, but your face is upon us. Your smile is towards us. You're gracious toward your people this morning. You're abounding in mercy and in loving kindness. And your word says that you delight in giving good gifts to your children. So, Father, right now, God, by faith, I just pray that you would just release a stream of refreshing in our souls. God, like a pool of blessing, Lord, on a hot summer desert heat kind of day, Lord, let us find a a pool of refreshing for our weary souls. God, let it just run from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet like cool water. God, just begin to refresh your people right now. God, for those that have grown weary in well-doing, God, give them a, a resurgence, a renewal of passion and vigor and purpose to faint not, but to trust you and to believe to be refreshed again in your presence. God, for those here that are struggling to continue to believe, God, for answers that have just delayed, God, in this moment, Lord, strengthen them. Strengthen them again. Put resolve in their spirit and steel in their spine. And God, cause them to trust you again, to know that nothing is impossible for them that believe. God, refresh us today in your presence. God, refresh your church. Lord, for those that feel like their soul is dry and cracked and broken, God, I pray that you would just speak new life. Just as spring rains prepare the soil, God, we pray that in this season of refreshing, in this moment in your presence, God, you would just begin to let the Spirit of God prepare 
the soil of their lives for a richer harvest than they've ever experienced before. I, I just sense that there's somebody here that you've, you, the lie that you've believed is I've tried before and I've failed. And if you're hearing that voice again, the, the devil is telling you, you've tried before and it didn't work. You've tried and you failed. Today, allow the Holy Spirit right now to work in your heart. He's going to produce a harvest of righteousness in your life. He's going to make all things new. It will be different this time. Trust the Holy Spirit today. Trust the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your presence right now. It's leading us. Your word says deep calls out to deep. God, you're, you're calling us. You're calling us deeper in you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Listen, at, at the end of this service, if, if you want to just come and seek the Lord for a few moments, we're about to dismiss, but I, I want to just let you know you can come and, and you can just find a place near the altar. There's something about coming near the altar. I want to invite you, if that's you and you have a need in your life, just say, you know what, today before I leave, I'm going to come to the altar. We've got some men and women. They will meet you here. They will pray for you. We're going to believe God to do something incredible in your life. Now, right now, we're going to pray a prayer over this offering that I said we're going to receive, this Heart for the House offering. The projects that we're going to do, I don't have to tell you, things aren't cheap. Just the window project is, is going to be almost $20,000. And to redo the, the siding, there's another twenty. To redo the, the entrance and, and the asphalt and the spouting, there's another twenty. And, and I want to let you know that the leadership of this church has been faithful and diligent. I say that to say we're not starting with no money. I wouldn't cast a vision for something if I didn't know God was going to let us do it. But I'm telling you right now, God is calling us to step in with great faith and to make an investment for what He wants to do in the future of this church. And as we prayed about how to handle this project this year, we felt very strongly that we needed this moment for us collectively to, to put seed in the ground and say, God, thank you for what you've done. Lord, we have a heart for this house, but we have a heart for this house because this house has a heart for the world. And by putting seed in the ground, Lord, we're expecting a harvest. We're ex and I'm not just talking about financial blessing in your life. I'm talking about saying, God, would you do more in the next five years, in the way of lives being changed, souls being saved, missionaries being funded, would you do more, exponentially greater than what we've seen thus far? And so I want to invite you to be a part of that. So I said this last week, just for instruction's sake, let me tell you again. We're just receiving one offering today, and everything that we receive today is going towards this Heart for the House project. Now, now we're able to do that we're able to take a week out of the regular budget because of the faithfulness of God's people. And we said, you know what? If we, if we don't 
allocate funds to pay all the bills and all that stuff, we'll be fine. But what we're believing that is that God's going to use our collective faith to make a miracle statement that God's going to do something powerful in the future of this church. So I'm going to pray a quick prayer. If you're using the envelopes, you can just uh, write an amount. You can, you can write heart for the house on it if you want to. If you're giving online, we have the methods we'll put up here on the screen so that you can be a part of the gift. If you're like me, I don't, I don't carry the checkbook. My wife has it. I don't even have my wallet on me right now. But you can, you can give using your smartphone or you can text to give using any of those methods. And I just want to invite you to be a part. Here's what I know. God is going to keep building his kingdom. Here's what I know. God does have great things in store for this church. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, our future is greater than our past. My dreams are bigger than my memories. And I know God wants to do something incredible through this church. This is an opportunity for all of us to be a part of it. So let me pray and then our ushers will serve us. Father, thank you so much for the incredible testimonies that we've seen already this morning and for those that are coming in the 11 o'clock service. God, thank you that your word declares that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. God, I pray that even this offering, it would be a testimony. It would be a statement by the people of God of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of our heart's desire and our flesh cry for the house of the Lord. Father, I pray today that you would meet every need. Lord, position us, God, to stretch our faith even farther in the future. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your blessing on every gift and on every giver. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Amen.